It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't fuck it up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. What's happening, everybody? Merry Midterms Eve. Merry, uh, as I said, the Midterminator. The death of democracy. <laughs> the death of democracy starts tonight. Did you love how uh, you were told that it was the death of democracy over and over and over again if we didn't vote for Democrats? Did you love how this was the most important election of our lifetime for the 4,000th time? Yes, yes. We all know that every election is the most important. As I said earlier, well, it's the most important election of our, of our lifetime. The soup is the most important soup on the menu. And of course, Jeopardy is the most important Jeopardy on tonight. What do these things have in common? They're always fucking on. They're always there. <laughs> the soup's always on the menu. Jeopardy is always on at seven. It's always the most important election of our lifetime. Give us a fucking break. Anyway, welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. Doing a little live stream here on the evening. The midterm election results are coming in. And I figure I'll do a little breakdown and uh, watch along with you guys as these results roll in. Plus, Talk about some other things. I had some other stuff on my mind as well. I want to talk a little bit about the narcissism that is rampant within so many of these social justice movements, these climate movements, everything else. So that's the things I want to get into as we're waiting for more results to come in. And I am hoping, hoping that I do get a special guest coming on later. Robbie DeFire is on his way back from a comedy show I'm hoping he's going to be able to make it back and join me. He's got the link. He's racing home desperately, uh, you know, driving, masturbating, drivesturbating as you do when these uh, circumstances arrive. So we'll see if he joins me later on. But I'd like to thank all of you that are watching right now for tuning in. Just to kick things off, by the way, I uh, I was looking yeah, actually, I was just on with Fabian Liberty over on their uh, their their Discord channel feed, their Twitch feed. So check them out. They do a, a great job over there. And I was having a little bit of a, a back and forth with some of their conservative friends who are on the show about whether or not this election so far, and again, the results are not in. We're seeing some races go one way, some races go the other way. But I had said to them that, in my opinion, this is a little bit of a pushback against Trump because I would have thought coming in, Right. Talking about the poll results that came out about the top issues that are facing Americans. Right. Inflation, first and foremost. Crime was up there. Immigration was up there. These are all topics that should be in Republican wheelhouses. Surprisingly enough, the Ukraine war wasn't really one of the top issues. And I was kind of going back and forth about whether or not abortion was a big issue. Obviously, it is to a lot of people. But in the polls and again, yes, can we even trust polls? Do they even matter anymore? It wasn't an issue that was so vital front and center for that many people compared to all the other issues we're dealing with. So I had to ask myself, considering all of these issues that are presenting to, uh, to Americans, considering that Biden is out there being a buffoon, and of course, so many people associate the party in the White House with the local parties, is why so many times you see a midterms as a big wave against the incumbent president or the, the current president of the White House and kind of pushes the other way. Why would we not see a huge pushback? The red wave we were promised. And if we don't see the red wave, what's the reason for that? 
I mean, I was texting with a buddy of mine, my, my best friend growing up who's in Pennsylvania. I texted him earlier. I said, are you going to vote for Quasimodo gibberish Johnny, a.k.a. John Fetterman, or did you vote for old Doc Oz? Now, Doc Oz, I don't have any specific fondness for him. He seems fairly moderate to me. But in, as we're talking about, in the reality we exist in, coming out of COVID, coming out of this inflationary, or say, say still in this inflationary period, coming out of all of these terrible injustices perpetrated on Americans, which the Democrats have only made worse, talking about climate issues and pushing forward this green energy, which is driving up costs of, at the pump, shipping oil off to foreign nations. You would think a moderate Republican would have a shot in Pennsylvania against a man who literally, during a debate performance, couldn't put sentences together, has repeatedly looked like a like a, a person who has a severe mental issue. The man's recovering from a stroke, but still, you're pitting your vote between two people, one of whom is a well-spoken doctor, at least you know he's intelligent, who, yes, was endorsed by Trump. Okay? But he's still fairly moderate. Against a man who is, for all intents and purposes, impaired, looks like he has been taken out of the bell tower where he was given his token hump. And yes, he has a little hump on his neck and then sent out there as basically cannon fodder. Right. I don't even know if the, the Democrats thought he would win. But yet every mainstream media platform has been backing him. You have Obama out there stumping for him and Biden out there stumping for him. As of right now, Fetterman is beating Dr. Oz. So I asked my buddy, I said, okay, who'd you vote for? And he said, well, I voted for gibberish Johnny. And he's acknowledging the man is not all there. He's having severe problems. But he goes, I just couldn't vote for Dr. Oz because he's a Trumper. He's a Trumper. Okay. So that led me to my next question. And this is the question that I'd raised in regards to a general presidential election upcoming, whether or not if Donald Trump's going to be the president or not, right? If he's going to run. And it looks like he's going to run. He said he's going to make a big announcement after the midterms. I'm guessing that big announcement is going to be that he's going to run. So if we have all these problems as a nation, if inflation and, uh, and recession and let's say the war in Ukraine and COVID issues and all these other things, right, are front and foremost in people's minds, is DeSantis, let's say, going to be a better candidate than Donald Trump because is Trump going to be so polarizing to people that, like my buddy, they will literally vote for somebody who looks like he has been taken out of a Disney back page of a Disney comic book, you know, the Igor uh, movie that was made, the off-brand Igor movie, and plopped on stage to embarrass himself. Will that still be what gets votes? Will a Joe Biden still be able to overcome a Trump because of the polarization? Because people have such a visceral reaction to Donald Trump that just hearing his name and knowing that he endorsed a candidate, is that enough to poison the well against them? That's the question I have, right? And that's the thing that I look at the results coming in. And right now, it's kind of a toss up. You know, I'm looking at these states in which uh, Donald Trump candidates are running. It looks like J.D. Vance has a shot. Um, it looks like it, he was losing earlier, but he's coming back strong. Rand Paul, safe and sound. Awesome. We're seeing, uh, let's see, who else? I'm trying to scroll through the results in live time here. I'll, I'll find a better map. This one's a little bit, uh, a little bit dodgy, but I do think, you know, Herschel Walker is another one. I think Herschel Walker is like neck and neck. I do think that that, that razor thin margin you're seeing might be a little bit more because people just don't 
want to vote for anybody related to Donald Trump to the point where they're willing to forego issues at the forefront of their minds for it. So anyway, let's see what happens a little bit later on, guys. Right now, it's still looking like the Senate is a complete toss up. Um, as of right now, the map I'm looking at, Democrats 43, Republicans 41. Still, there's a lot of people uh, up for grabs. There's 12 seats, I guess, that are leaning. We'll see what happens. But as we wait for that, as we wait for more results, I want to talk about this. I want to uh, share a little tweet with you guys. Because one of the things that really stuck out to me as I'm seeing all of these, I don't know, performance art pieces, right? And that's what they are. From the uh, the radical left, the the no oil people, the climate change rabid masses that were convinced that the earth is going to be gone in you know twelve years and that our next generation of children will die Bernie Sanders style. Well, they decided that they're going to take the most narcissistic approach possible to getting what they want. They glue themselves to things. They throw uh, soup on paintings. They dump milk on the floor. And this all kind of traces back to this grand narcissism. And I was watching an interesting, you know, tweet by a psychologist who was talking about how this generation has embraced narcissism as the guiding light to how they message, to what leads them down this path. And this ties into what I talk about in regards to messaging. And also it ties into the midterms even, right? Because we're talking about midterm issues. We're talking about top line issues. The top ones that I talked about, and I did this on the Good Morning Fuckhead rant this morning. The polls just came out this morning, if you can trust the polls. Again, inflation, crime, immigration, right? If these are the top line issues, you should see that play out in the polls. We're not. So that either means polling is completely irrelevant, or I should say in the voter polls. Either polling is completely irrelevant, we should no longer bother, we should no longer do it ever again, or... The polls simply don't matter. And I've argued that we're in a post-factual reality anyway, in which the facts that surround people in their very lives don't really matter, or they will not vote accordingly regardless because they have such a, a tried and true belief in their core value of the world's going to end, or I must fight climate, or you know, uh, social justice is the most important thing in the world and, and all white people, are whatever it might be that they can't overcome that and we have to teach them a different way to succeed. And whether that ties into a victim mentality and giving them a new victim mentality that will lead to human prosperity or tying into this narcissism, which is what I'm going to talk about in a minute, to drive them to greater things rather than these petulant act-outs, well, that might be the way to succeed. <laughs> I've got a, a comment from one of our live watchers, Theodore. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles, John Fetterman. Yeah, I also saw John Fetterman came out during during some speech and said something like, I'm here to stand against abortion. I am for total abortion or something like that. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but it was literally something along those lines where he came out <laughs> to his ultra liberal crowd and literally told them that he was all for, you know, total abortions uh, for everybody or, and no abortions for anybody within the sentence of each other, within one sentence of each other. So let's, let me share this little video. Now this is a, a, a tweet that was Sky News posted uh, just stop oil protester Louise, who is 24, who climbed a gantry on the M25 in Surrey. I don't know what a gantry is. Is that is that the plural for a flock of geese? 
a gantry. No, I'm guessing it's some sort of uh, of high level above the freeway because M25 is a freeway. And she said, the government is betraying young people. I'm going to play this video so you guys can see it because it's just, it's very special. And I want you to pay special attention to the theatrics that are involved in this performance. And this will remind you very specifically of one Greta Thunberg and what she does in her overly vocal voice, overly overly practiced theatrical presentations about how we are hurting her to the core and everything she stands for. So here's this. Okay. And you might hate me for doing this, Hopefully and you're entitled to hate me. But I wish you would direct all that anger and hatred at our government. They are betraying young people like me. <laughs> I would love to be there if they did their lawful duty to their own citizens. I'm part of the Just Stop Oil Coalition demanding an end to all new oil and gas licenses in the UK. What we're asking for is what all the scientists are asking for, what the United Nations are asking for, the International Energy, the IPCC. How many more people have to say we don't have a livable future if you continue licensing oil and gas for you to listen? Okay, now that that's enough of that. Now I just want I do want to rewind it to one point though because it just cracked me up. I got to play it again. She says something like she's like people like me, and she literally, literally. I urge you to follow us. By the way, you can watch this live feed on Twitter right now on our Lions of Liberty at Lions of Liberty. You can watch it at the Mean Age Daydream page because our YouTube, by the way, once again has a strike against it. Shane Hazel's fault. <laughs> Shane Hazel, who, by the way, will 100% be blamed should the GOP candidate <laughs> lose in Georgia. Shane Hazel, who's polling, I think, right around 0.6% at the moment, uh, libertarian candidate, who has been on the show. He was on Finding Freedom. Something he said. We don't know. Something he said during an interview with John Odermatt got flagged for medical misinformation. So now we once again have two strikes on our main Lions of Liberty YouTube page. It means we can't live stream or else I'd be doing it there. So make sure to follow on Mean Age Daydream solo uh, YouTube page. But go and watch this. Also, Rumble, guys. Check us out on Rumble. Um, she literally tosses her hair back when she says, like, for me, as if she's practiced it in the mirror 3,000 fucking times. It's, I mean, and I don't have hair, so I can't do it, but just imagine the theatric, like throwing your hair back and sticking your chin into the wind. She's like, you know, it's like, hey, girl, you're not Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, don't deliver it. So let me see if I can find that again. If they did their lawful duty to their obedient people like me. Like me, there I it is, there it is. Who would direct and hatred like our government. They are betraying young people like me. <laughs> You guys, I can't, I can't describe the the hilarity <laughs> of this this girl. And again, she's at least she's not blocking the freeway, right? Because I've argued that blocking the freeway, just like throwing, you know, dumping milk out in the counters, uh, are literally the worst thing you can do to get your message across because it just pisses people off. But she throws her head back for me. And sticks her chin out like she's, you know, getting ready to take a punch from a, an abusive husband. It's it's just it's just too fun. So, hey, hey, Craig's here. All right. So I have to say, oh, OK, Craig, I'll, I'll get back to your comment here about uh, Oz and uh, and Roe versus Wade. So the thing is, and somebody on Facebook is watching this said her clothes are mostly oil project. Exactly. Right. These people 
don't understand that she's talking about how if they just would stop these oil and gas and blah, blah, blah contracts, well, that the future would be assured for her. I mean, well, girl, the future that's assured for you without oil, without natural gas, without, you know, it, emphasis on human prosperity is one of starvation is a future of poverty. It's a future wherein you're not, you, you know, people worry about a generation dying out because of climate change. No, climate deaths are at an all-time low. You're talking about the elimination of oil and gas and all these other resources that are reliable and dependable and have an actual backbone we can look forward to and grow the human species, right? Because everywhere we've lost fossil fuels, coal, you know, oil, coal, whatever it might be, in the third world countries, in China, that's where you see human flourishment. And you need human flourishment to get to the point where you can now not rely on those as heavily. Like we're seeing happen in the United States and the UK and Germany. Now they're forcing the issue, right? This isn't the market at work. This is them forcing in an irrational transition, an unnational, unnatural, God, I can't talk, transition that is outside of market forces, right? It's not ready for prime time. But this girl doesn't understand that she would literally be on the brink of starvation without oil and gas. What do you think gets your crops to the, to one place to another? What do you think flies the fertilizer around? What do you think makes it possible to pump your water through to the fields? Like it, this woman is so devoid of the basic concept of what allows her to exist. But again, it's based in this narcissism. Right. Her narcissistic instincts are to get up there and make a spectacle of herself again, throwing her chin out at the world and saying, how dare you? How dare you attack my generation? We have to channel that because you cannot fight against it. You can't fight against narcissism. You can't fight against self, self, self-centered interests like this. You have to learn to channel them into what's going to be better. So I was thinking to myself, like, how do we do this? What's the thing right now? Like we have victim culture, right? This, uh, these people, this girl, I guarantee you is a wealthy college educated or probably in college, you know, well off middle of the road, middle class, upper class girl who has really nothing to complain about. So she has to invent a way to become a victim, uh, something to overcome. So how do we tie into that? Well, we need to find a way that these people can find that they're fighting the good fight, that they are still victims, but overcoming oppression in a way that actually aids humanity rather than set it back. And uh, pardon me, I'm going to pull up my phone here because I was taking notes on my phone today about this very topic and uh, I wanted to make sure I get them right. But uh, I also have a note about how leftists are the least optimistic. This actually ties into it. Leftists are the least optimistic people on the face of the planet, right? Think about this. No faith in things working out without overt control by them or a government entity. No faith in humanity. Is that is that too much to say that leftists have zero faith in humanity? You would think it would be the opposite, right? Because leftists pretend to have, they pretend that this concept of humanity, that it's this great and beautiful thing and we're all equal and we all shall overcome and we shall throw off the shackles of oppression. But the answer to everything for leftists is more oppression. Right. It's more constrictive measures. It's it's a different hierarchy. They say they don't want hierarchies, but it's a different hierarchy of control. They have no belief in humanity to govern itself and for individuals to know what's best for their own well-being. 
leftists, no faith in the future. Again, evidenced by this girl standing on top of the M25 and yelling about how, how oil and gas is destroying the earth for her future, for her generation. They have no faith in the future as it exists. They have no faith in the way in which things are on a track to succeed. And the thing is, and this is, again, tying back into the narcissism, giving these people a different modus operandi and way to channel it, we have to give them something that they can choose to fight with, to believe in, that's going to make humanity better rather than tearing it down. Because right now, everything they're fighting for is restricted. And you cannot have human freedom flourish. You cannot have a future that's bright without having things be less constricted. And that's the whole focus. And then, uh, okay, sorry. No, one last thing, no belief in themselves or their abilities. Let me just bring up my notes about this. Uh, okay, so again. We have to channel this narcissism that people have, right? You have to, like, like for example, freeing people from climate death. She's worried about climate change. She's worried about the, the future that's happening here, mostly because she's been brainwashed to think this way. We have to convince these people that the solution is not constrictive, a.k.a. limiting fossil fuel consumption, limiting how people can operate in the free market, but instead give them the faith in themselves to because say, look, okay, you're a victim, of government control over these resources. You're a victim of government control over the lands, over the seas, over what you can and can't access to adapt humanity to best succeed moving forward. If you want to be a victim, acknowledge that. Fine, you can be a victim, but overcome it in the right way. You need to free humanity from the shackles of climate, but you can't do that by moving backwards. You have to move forwards. You have to run faster to get through this, you know, this thicket that's surrounding us. And for example, like another thing, you know, freedom from, from money. What is money? Right at the end of the day, money is debt. That's all money is. When you have actual currency, when you have solid real gold currency, right? It's no longer debt. Money is, money exists because there's a bank that has all of the assets in it and they are lending out credit. They are lending out debt. So if these people feel oppressed. They feel oppressed by a system, right, that has denied them access to buying a house, denied them access to having a quote-unquote living wage. Well, guess what? You are a victim. You are a victim, you narcissist. You can go out there and you in your middle-class suburban white life, you can say, I am a victim of the system that has been oppressing me. And that system is called money. And we need to fight to get beyond money. We need to embrace Bitcoin. We need to embrace a system that is not based upon debt to exist. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about rechanneling narcissism and trying to sell people as different version of the future, a different version of, of how we can inspire people while still allowing them to feel that they are downtrodden. <laughs> how about this? I mean, again, freeing people from class and race boundaries. What's more freeing from a class or race boundary than untethering people from debt? Because you think about the debt that's incurred, right, from a race perspective, debts incurred through the welfare state, debts incurred through, let's say, a, a cultural debt of being held down, put into a, a welfare state of mind, put into welfare uh, riddled neighborhoods, held down in your socioeconomic status. A lot of times debt is used to incarcerate people. We talk about people who don't pay parking tickets getting put into prison. You talk about people who miss a, a couple of payments on their car loans and go into debt and they come out. These, or like, you know, they don't pay their taxes and now they're in deep debt. There you go. You're freeing people. You're freeing people from oppression. Use that narcissism, turn it towards good. Okay, should we check in on some Senate races, gang? What do you think? I say yes. So, 
Let me do a quick refresh here. I'll go, let's see. I'll do the forecast right now. Oh, right now they're forecasting. Well, okay. Still no decision on the Senate. Let me see. Live results. I'm looking at 270 to win.com. It looks like, let me see. I'm going to Google which ones are actually set in stone here. Like I said, Rand Paul looks like he has won it. Jerry Moran has won it. Chuck Grassley reelected. Chuck Grassley was actually losing earlier. I guess, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe I'm making this up, but I think Nikki Haley was a Nikki Haley stumping for him. Although I don't think that uh, that douche nozzle that was running who, uh, God, not Dorchman. He was running in New Hampshire. And Nikki Haley had endorsed him, but he had this whole flap with the uh, New Hampshire Libertarian Party. Hold on. New Hampshire. Sure. Senate race. I'm just blanking on his name. What what is your name, guy? Donald Balduck. Balduck. Yeah, Donald Balduck. If you guys haven't seen this or heard about this, Donald Balduck had a rally and the New Hampshire Libertarians went out and tried to uh, basically give him the biz, and rightly so. And a, f- a guy from the Libertarian Party went up to him with a camera, asked him a question, literally did not touch him, got nowhere near him. And the guy flipped out. Baldock flips out, pretends that he got assaulted. It got written about in the New York Post and you know, 10 other newspapers saying that a Libertarian member had assaulted Baldock at a campaign event. Biggest horseshit I've ever seen. So while... Again, I have no vested interest in New Hampshire. It would have been nice to see uh, a little bit of an upset there. I would have loved to have seen Jeremy Kaufman win that. But like I was saying, I don't even know if I don't think we're in a position at the moment where things stand politically, culturally, where a Jeremy Kaufman has a chance in hell. Now, Jeremy's great. I mean, he's awesome in messaging. Let me say that. He is a fantastic messenger. He knows how to get attention and cut through. And I've had some debates back and forth with, uh, you know, with friends like Reed Coverdale at the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire about messaging. What do you want to do? Do you want to cut through? Are you going to ostracize more people than attract? Do you just want to try to grow your Twitter feed and followers by pushing the boundaries of, I'd say, not necessarily good taste, but the boundaries of what's acceptable thought, right? For example, publishing a picture of uh, John McCain's daughter crying over his casket, right? And basically say, look, he's a war criminal. I don't have that much of a problem with these issues because at this point in time, I don't know if we can win culturally. Like, I think that America right now exists in a sphere wherein, and and I've argued this, by the way, as far as the libertarian expenditures in supporting libertarians and races, right? And saying that we should pick and choose. You shouldn't just support people across the board. It doesn't make sense because you're going to lose the majority of those races and you're not going to have a chance in hell of doing anything. So you have to pick and choose. But predominantly, I still think it should be on education, on advertising, on doing media buys to put out messaging, to get it out on social media, far more economically effective than television ads, to try to culturally push the needle. This is what I'm trying to do with Meet Age Dagem as well, guys. Sell a different version of the future. Because as I was talking about earlier, the polarization, talking about people voting not for a candidate, but against a candidate or a candidate endorsed by a candidate, a.k.a. Donald Trump, you have to have a message that goes beyond that basic gut instinct of the two-party system. You would think going into this, that people would be sick of the two-party system. And my buddy that I was talking about earlier who voted for Fetterman in Pennsylvania, even he said, look, at this point, these people are Kang and Kodos, right? The Simpsons reference. 
And that's what they are. You look at the spending, they're locked to, you know, they, they, they tiptoe down the aisle holding hands to vastly increase the budget. And let's not forget, yes, Biden added trillions, but Donald Trump added trillions to the deficit too. They both are complicit in making our money worth less. And neither of them has any idea to move it closer to the mean, to get us back in the gold standard, to rein it in. Frankly, we're in a position where I don't think we can anyway. That's why Bitcoin is the only solution. We can talk about the gold standard all we want. It's never going to happen. It would collapse the world economy. We have to move on to a different standard of money. But the point I'm trying to make about these, these midterms is that you have these issues. You have these issues that are impacting people's wallets. They're impacting people's ability to get to work, to buy gasoline, to buy food. You're having food shortages because of COVID lockdowns. And yet, Governor Whitmer, right? I don't, I'll have to check on her race. Gretchen Whitmer still was in the lead as far as I could tell from last, last guess, right? Let me see. Governor races. I'll click it right now in 270 to win. Let's see <coughs> who's doing what right now in Michigan. Let's see, Michigan. It looks like Whitmer. God, this website sucks my dick. Well, this is a terrible website. It's unbelievably slow. It looks like they're basically calling it for, yeah, 55.43%. Now, Whitmer was one of the worst lockdown advocates, one of the worst abusers of a new new gift of power that should have never existed. One of the biggest people that fought against the uh, the rescinding of those lockdown powers, that executive authority, to basically operate as a dictator. Gretchen Whitmer, who also famously was involved in this completely fabricated scheme to kidnap her, right? Gretchen Whitmer, who, by the way, also arrested people for going fishing in the middle of a lake with their boats. This is an evil woman. Yet she's getting reelected. I had said before that if we can't make inroads coming out of COVID, coming out of this inflationary period, coming out of these people operating as they have in lockstep to send billions of our dollars to a war in Ukraine that doesn't make any sense to fund, that we might as well give up hope. I still agree that that may be the take, but this is why I focus on what I focus on now. This is why I'm not as focused on the midterm stuff. Because the messaging has to change the culture. We have to deliver a different message to people that actually can give them something to believe in. Because right now, what they're sticking to, they're sticking to their guns. If you believed in lockdowns, if you believed that COVID vaccines work and continue to, continue to work, you're not going to rescind that. I know we just saw that asshole, you know, was it El Olson Brown or something like that? Oh, no, sorry. She was a professor at Brown write a, an article in The Atlantic saying that they wanted amnesty to people that insisted that you had to get vaccinated, that people should be fired for not getting vaccinated, et cetera. They wanted amnesty, and let's just put, by, put it behind us, bygones be bygones, guys, right? No big deal. Well, number one, fuck that, right? Fuck that, because all that is, again, this is the narcissism that we were talking about earlier in these movements, the narcissism of, you know what? It's all about me. It's about me, and I should not be forced to prostrate myself on your altar. I should not be forced to apologize and grovel. I should not be forced to feel bad about myself and who I am because I was wrong. And I think that feeling is so much more powerful than anybody realizes. You can see it in these elections. Now, look, I might at the end of this night, right? When we check the election results in the night, 
maybe the red wave will happen. Maybe it will be more than, as I said, uh, as I tweeted out, maybe it'll be more than a woman with her period walking into a public pool, right? Where you go, that's a little pink. It's a little pink, but certainly not shining level. Maybe that'll happen. But I expected a lot more. I expected a lot more considering what we've been through. And it's just reemphasizing the fact that people are sticking to what they are, who they are, and physical factors are not mattering. We live in a post-reality, post-factual world, and we have to sell people not a vision of we have to fight against the current inflation process and here's a solution to it. No, we have to sell them a different vision as far as something that's going to be so unbelievably beautiful, so next-generation, world-changing that they cannot deny it. And I think that's where this is all breaking down. What did the Republicans run on? They ran on, okay, well, I guess abortion, you know, Democrats made abortion an issue. I think that was far less of an issue than people want to make it out. Republicans and Democrats, you know, Democrats really ran on abortion as a primary issue. According to the polls, again, whether or not you believe them, it was an issue to staunch Democrats, but those people aren't swing voters anyway. To swing voters, many of whom are populist, you know, populist leaning anyway, it was at the bottom of the list. It was after inflation, after crime, after uh, immigration, after, you know, a, a litany of things, after climate. So you have to focus on bringing people that are these swing votes onto our side. You know, I'm not saying we're going to we're going to necessarily reach the people that are so, you know, so far gone that they can completely deny reality. But the people in the middle that might swing a little bit either way, give them something that they can latch onto. Give them something that's going to transition them from somebody that might flip from from Democrat to Republican back and forth. Right. They're with they're wavering back and forth into somebody that's going to have a religious fervor towards what they believe in, because that's what transcends. And that's what, unfortunately, so many people have. So many people that voted in these elections that went out, the people that are that are literally screaming at you that you have to go and rock the fucking vote every goddamn time. These people are religious fanatics and they want to convert you to their religion. We have to give them a new religion. All right. So this theater. So let me go back to Craig. Craig was talking about. Uh, OK, this is Fetterman. Just going back a little bit to our comment section here. So on Roe v. Wade, he said he supported but Oz celebrated the demise of Roe versus Wade. Okay, I, I know you're talking about Craig. So yeah, he said, I'm for the demise of Roe versus Wade. That's what he said, right? I mean, or I, I, something like that. I'm for the demise of Roe versus Wade. I'm against uh, Roe v. Wade. I don't know. It was It's still ridiculous. And then Theodore says, I agree with you about Bitcoin. It's the hardest money ever invented. What we recognize eventually is the most transformative invention of the 21st century. Yeah, either Bitcoin or another currency. Bitcoin right now is such a massive advantage as far as a time frame. You know, it's it's the biggest. It's the most recognized. It's got the name recognition. The people that are going to use Bitcoin at this point are people that are actually looking to utilize it as an investment or as a currency. That's the biggest difference for Bitcoin. Because you're not going to go out and buy Dogecoin. You're not going to go out and buy, you know, Solara uh, to use it as a currency right now. You're buying those as a shot in the dark. Hey, this could blow up and be something I hope. Bitcoin is already operating as a currency. 
And that's the intrinsic difference between Bitcoin and every other currency. I guess maybe Ethereum, but even Ethereum, when you talk to people, you're not using Ethereum. You don't go out and see Ethereum ATM machines. You don't see people having Ethereum typically listed as a modus of currency on their website. You know, like I use, I have a gambling website I use. Bitcoin is available. It is a currency. And it is without a doubt, it is going to be a freeing form. Uh, let me take a little sip of water. I'm thirsty. Uh, okay, I'm gonna wait a little bit. Then I'm gonna try to find a better website. This fucking 270 to win. Somebody, if anybody's in the comments has a better website they suggest for me to uh, to utilize in my search here for these results because Google's website blows. Uh, I was on actually, I guess it's it's decent. Let's see results. I'm gonna go away from this a little bit and talk about Elon Musk and Twitter because that's another topic I want to get into. Because they actually released what Elon Musk cut, right? Elon Musk said his big news. He cut, you know, whatever it was, 7,000 employees, you know, half the, half the workforce, maybe not 7,000. I think he cut like 4,000 of the 7,000 workforce. Great. Good for Elon Musk. Number one, people are acting like this is done out of some petulant uh, action. Number one, the guy is a billionaire. He has run companies that are that, that were, by the way, not profitable. Tesla was not profitable. I, I think Tesla's barely profitable now. And it's like worth billions upon millions of dollars. So good for him. But he goes in, Twitter's losing like $4 million a day. And this is before the advertisers pulled out, which if you're an advertiser pulling out off of Twitter, you're, by the way, you're a, a fucking imbecile. Number one, these advertisers, oh, my dog's coming back here. My number one, if you're pulling off of, all right, we'll take a, a minute break and live stream. Do you let the dogs out? Sorry, my wife's going to bed. Come here, Hanky boy. I'll let him out. This is the fun of the live stream, guys. I'm going to let my dogs out here. Come on. Do, 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 do. I should have like a little, uh, here, I'll play the meme wars intro while, uh, while this happens. There you go. Tune in on Fridays, guys, for Meme Wars. <laughs> the show John Odermatt and I do. Good little notice to show. All right, what was I talking about? Okay, Elon Musk. So Musk is cutting staff. The guy, look, they're losing $4 million a day. Now all these advertisers have pulled their ads off Twitter. Why? Because of jerk-off group of, I don't even know, LGBTQI plus or some horseshit leftist group, sent him a letter, sent, sent letters to the biggest advertisers on Twitter and said, we're going to boycott you if you don't stop advertising on Twitter. Now, number one, I can't even think of the ads I see on Twitter for the most part, which is probably part of the problem with Twitter ads. And number two, these fucking people aren't going to boycott shit. You know how I know that? Because all of them are still on Twitter. Doesn't that seem to be an indication that you shouldn't take them seriously? I mean, the number of people that are going to boycott the company's advertising on Twitter is equal to the number of people that moved to Canada after Donald Trump won the election. That number? Zero. These people are full of shit. So shame on these idiot advertisers. But he still had to cut staff. And naturally, it makes a lot of sense. Like the, the areas that he actually cut down on are areas you would expect. So here's what they are. The human rights team has been laid off. Uh, according to a former employee, Shannon Raj Singh, 
that this team worked to protect those at risk in global conflicts, including Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Ethiopia. Now, again, I got my dogs in. Apologies, guys. Explain to me why Twitter, as a social media platform, has an obligation to protect people in war-torn regions or conflict areas. Hanky, come here. It doesn't. It's not part of its core operating procedure. It was a bunch of lefty horseshit. And that's what this company got made into. Like, you talk about the inmates running the asylum. You have a perfect example in Twitter, right? A perfect example in that you have all these left-leaning people who are working there who are creating a platform for them. So they think, much like the United Nations, much like the United States, they think they have to go and fight the good fight and keep people on the straight and narrow and make sure nobody gets taken advantage of these war-torn regions. Now, what does that mean? I don't fucking know. Do you? Do you have any idea what Twitter did in Afghanistan to fight against, uh, you know, whatever forces? And how do you even pick a side? Are you, are you siding with who we support? Hank, come here. This is already annoying, this dog. Uh, should I play another interstitial? Sandy. Uh, it's a good time when your wife doesn't close the door and uh, the dog's just walking around the house. Well, anyway, I don't know what they're doing to fight this fight. I don't care. Neither does Elon Musk. Good. Glad they cut it. Next thing he, t- he cut. The uh, machine learning ethics, transparency, and accountability team. Gone. Good. Ethics, transparency, and accountability. Okay, great. Again, what does this mean? Ethics, that's handed down. That means, again, the inmates are controlling the asylum. Your ethics should be very very clearly stated in your in your uh, operating system, or I'm sorry, not operating, in your uh, terms of service, which they are, right? Outside of that, I don't think you need a massive team to support it. Third thing he cut, internet technology team keeps the site running. <laughs> That's when you think maybe you need, but at the same time, if you're not doing a massive censorship poll, if you're not working with the FBI at all times to censor content, to report content, you probably don't need as much of a team, do you? Next thing, the curation team responsible for the quote unquote moments feature. Well, again, so what were they doing with this moments team? They were picking and choosing which moments they wanted to highlight as a Twitter culture. That's called playing favorites, not based upon what's the most popular, but based upon curation, right? You would expect Twitter, which you'd want in a perfect engine. You would want the things that are being talked about the most on the platform at any given time to be the most prominent things mentioned, the things you see pop up immediately, or should you so desire, you can select your interest. What's going to be the most popular thing in that category that I can select? If if that's not it, if someone is curating it, then that's called propaganda. You are propagandizing me to think the way you think or that you want me to think. So that's a no-brainer. Glad he fucking cut it. Another one. Communications department. I like it. I like that he cut the PR staff. I do public relations for a living. I like that he asked these people. Why? Because guess what? You need a bigger PR team to handle shit coming in when you're fucking up than you do if you're doing things right. Twitter shouldn't need more than five people at most, I would say. Even that's probably too many. You need one person to be the spokesperson if Elon Musk isn't going to do it. And he seems to be more than happy to be the spokesperson for Twitter, for Tesla, for whatever company he happens to be running. So you don't even need somebody to be a spokesperson. 
All you need is now somebody to put up press releases, which everybody will pick up anyway. You chuck them on a newswire. Maybe you give somebody a scoop here and there. Maybe you set up a profile piece. But the problem is Elon Musk probably doesn't even want to take interviews on Twitter. He's Elon Musk. What do I need a Twitter team to pitch interviews for me that I don't need to take? Elon Musk could pick up the phone and get an interview exclusive with any media source on earth right now. Cut him. Gone. Last thing. Uh, let's see. Other areas have been impacted, including product, trust, and safety. Oh, no. And oh, no, not social good. Oh, tragic. They're cutting the social good platform, guys, meaning that people who actually want to do social good will have to find it themselves rather than have it be forced down their throats by Twitter. Mm. I don't know how we'll figure it out. I don't know how they'll decide for themselves. Do you? It'll be a miracle. Okay. So let's see. Anything else I want to talk about before we get back to these election night results? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's just talk about some primaries. Let's see where we're at, right? It's 8.46, 11.46 on the East Coast. Let me do a quick refresh here and see where things are at. I'll go, ugh, I hate the New York Times, but let me see. Let's go to the New York Times and see what they are calling. So yeah, Maggie Hass Hassan has won handily over Baldick. Uh, Jeremy Coffey looks like he came in at 2% with about 7,000 votes. But again, you know, we're talking about running on a messaging campaign more than anything, which is going to be the way it is for a long time, guys. We're not going to have a libertarian candidate anytime in the near future. Not in any meaningful fashion. And I guess you could argue, you'd say, should you have libertarian candidates? I think my uh, my buddy Mark Clare, who, uh, of course, has the new Mark Clare show, he would argue that, no, you should not have libertarian candidates. You should only have Republican candidates who are libertarian. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that we have to get out of a two-party duopoly system. I think that there's no way or to succeed within it because you're simply going to have too many power players in the existing power structure that are going to hold down a candidate like a Ron Paul. I mean, I guess you could argue that from a, a messaging standpoint, that's what you have to do. Get him in power and then you can switch out kind of like Justin Amash did. But even that... I think you have to have third-party candidates run. I think you have to fight the fight. And again, you have to change the culture. Culture is what allows freedom to flourish. Culture is what allows uh, human advancement. It allows technolog technological advancements, allows medical advancements. You, do, you look at cultures throughout history, you have to have a culture that supports people trying something different and new and outside of the norm and outside of the narrative. And frankly... My worry would be that if you don't have any third-party candidates, well, then you don't have anything really that's going to be allowed outside the narrative, especially when you talk about debates, especially when you talk about mainstream media coverage. If there was literally no other, no other exterior force pushing upon you to push you either way, and again, one of the arguments for libertarian candidates is that you can concede and pull out of the race. I know this happened with Blake Masters and the libertarian candidate uh, against him that you can force them to take your issues on more seriously. You might not win, but you can force that issue. But I feel that simply conceding and saying, well, we'll run candidates that are libertarians as Republicans. Well, number one, you don't think they're going to get wise to that? You don't think that that's something that's going to happen and they're going to say, well, you know, that guy's just, he's just libertarian running as a Republican. They're going to run a whole smear campaign on you and push you out anyway. Yeah, probably so. 
So I would argue instead, we have to focus on changing the culture. As I said, we have to focus on preaching a different way and preaching a vision of the future that is positive and not simply wheedling. Okay, top races. Let's see what the election results say. Oh, fuck you, New York Times. They're going to try to fuck me here, guys. They're going to try to fuck me. Let's see if I can get through it. Nope. Uh, I hate this so much, honestly. I hate that I have to fight to get these results. I hate that it, Google's so shitty at them. All right, let me go to results again. Let's see here. It looks like Herschel Walker actually just might pull it out. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute. Because again, I'm less concerned about the actual results here than I am about the messages these things sent and taking away what I can take away from these results. I have to check and see what Dr. Oz is. I think he's going to lose. Herschel Walker looks like he's going to win and not by a huge amount, by about 20,000 votes. Right now, he's got 49.2%. Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, is 488 now, Walker, I believe, was endorsed by Donald Trump. But Walker also, kind of like a Fetterman. Herschel Walker, as much as I appreciate his time as a Philadelphia Eagle, go birds. He also has a lot of flubs, a lot of foibles. He has a lot of possible scandals in his past regarding abortions that he may or may not have paid for. He doesn't come across as somebody that's necessarily the most intellectual guy in the world, right? And I have not heard Warnock speak. Maybe Raphael Warnock is a, an imbecile as well, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> but if Herschel Walker pulls it out, what does that say, right? Like I was arguing that the anti-Trump sentiment in many places where they thought that, you know, a lot of liberal strongholds, especially, I, I guess is where I talk about this anti-Trump sentiment. A lot of the liberal strongholds is more where you see this because, yeah, Trump, some supported candidates are going to win in some of the more Republican sides anyway. Fine. Maybe some of these toss up states that go back and forth. But the liberal ones that the Republicans thought they had a shot at getting don't look like they're going to happen. Right. Although Stacey Abrams looked like she's going to lose, which is funny. And Beto O'Rourke. It looks like he is once again lost. What the fuck do people see in Beto O'Rourke? I'm blown away by. I just don't understand. But Herschel Walker is a flawed candidate, yet people are willing to vote for him. Now, is this based upon the overall economy? Is this based upon a hatred of Joe Biden? Is this based upon, you know, any number of factors? Or is it simply based upon the fact that they they hate the existing candidate so much, the existing president, the existing dichotomy so much that they're willing to vote for such a flawed candidate. And the same thing with Fetterman, right? John Fetterman is a guy who can barely speak. Dr. Oz is, for all his flaws, still a college-educated, you know, medical doctor. Not in, again, not to tout college education is the best thing in the world. But the man is clearly intelligent, he's well-spoken, and he's a moderate you'd think would play well. And yet he's going to lose to this fucking lump who can barely speak and has clearly got some mental impairment. What does that say about the state of our culture and politicization and how people go about voting for these candidates? Because there has to be something deeper. And this is the argument I was getting into with these guys on Fabian Liberty, which I'll, I'll probably pop over again, by the way, and and visit with them a little bit more after this, if you want to join me. But 
if you have every factor in Pennsylvania, again, Pennsylvania, a coal state, right? It's got coal mines in it. Pennsylvania, working class, blue collar. I thought that they would, I thought that without a doubt, Oz would win because Joe Biden or Jill Biden was getting booed out of the Eagles game. You know, like, I mean, and this is in blue collar Pennsylvania in a, a city of Philadelphia, which is not uh, strictly white suburbanites, right? All races and creeds in Philadelphia. If this fucking guy can still win despite all this, despite the worst debate performance I've ever seen in my entire life, despite publicly flubbing and flowing and, and just looking like he has no concept of what's happening around him on top of being just look, I don't like to be simply surface level critical of people. I don't think it's right to just make fun of the way people look or else I would never stop talking about Stacey Abrams. But John Fetterman looks like Quasimodo. He looks like Frankenstein's monster and he acts like Frankenstein's monster. And for this man to succeed tells you there's something deeper beyond the main issues that the polls are telling us, which is why I wonder, should we even bother with polls? Do they matter at all anymore? We saw in 2016 what happened with polls. We saw the last election cycle what happened. We're seeing it in this one in, in New York City or sorry, New York State. Hochul who took over for Cuomo, you know, unelected, but you know now she's getting elected. She's going to carry it from last time I saw something like 75% of the vote. In New York State, which has high taxes, which has had some of the largest numbers of people leaving the state, which had COVID restrictions that destroyed lives over and over again, some of the most restrictive lockdowns and COVID passport laws, just fucking absurd shit. On top of being riddled with crime, riddled with drugs, same thing with Philadelphia, crime, drugs, homelessness, same thing with California. Gavin Newsom's going to carry it easily here in California, despite all the issues we have. So what's at play here? Because clearly the issues that people are saying matter to them either don't matter to them or only matter to the people that are answering the polls. And even if they do matter to these people, they're still voting on something deeper, a basic like or dislike. I mean, in business, we talk about two things. Do they like you or do they trust you, right? That's how you get business. People hire you because they like you and they trust you. Then you're going to do the job. I don't know anybody could like Fetterman or trust Fetterman. So it's not that anymore. It, even that basic law doesn't exist anymore. So what are people voting on? Hatred, a hatred of Donald Trump, a hatred of what the Republican Party stands for. And this is why, again, I question if we're talking about whether or not Libertarian Party should exist and run candidates. Well, if you have a hatred for a party that strongly, I don't know how you can run and expect it to cut through and change anything. You have to get past the hatred. You have to surpass it. You have to get around it. You have to, 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 to basically wrap it in such a thick layer of hope that the hate can't cut through. And maybe we're seeing that in some races, but it certainly seems that that is the guiding principle of what's happening right now. And I do wonder if Elon Musk had owned Twitter the past couple of years, if this could have been a little bit evened out. Right, Because Twitter, obviously, as we know, algorithmically is, is a feeder for hate, is a feeder for uh, the most vile instincts, the most vile people. Maybe things could be a little bit different. 
All right, let's check on again the overall overview of what's happening here. All right, NBC News. Let's check in with NBC News and see what they say is going to happen here. J.D. Vance looks like he has won. So J.D. Vance won. That's interesting. Again, he was Donald Trump backed. Um, Democrat beat Doug Mastriano. He was a Trumper in Pennsylvania. Let's see what else here. Maricopa County. We're still waiting for that. They had an issue with Cap right now. Okay. So right now, Senate results still 46-46. It legitimately looks like it may come down to the wire. I really thought that the Republicans would take the Senate. I thought with all the issues that we had presented, it would be by two or three seats. I thought the House would be a slam dunk and the Senate would be uh, be something that would be fairly easy to attain. And like I'm saying, it's just not working out that way. It's just not working out that way. I mean, Ron DeSantis won in in Florida. Obviously, he, he swept it fairly easily. Let's see. Blake Masters blown out in Arizona. I know that was one. He was a former libertarian who uh, I know Dave Smith had gotten on his side, on Blake's side. I'm always surprised by Arizona being so damn Democrat. I, it, it Mind boggling to me. But Blake Masters lost substantially, or actually they haven't called it yet. Too early to call. 52% in, but right now Blake Masters is down almost 20%. Let's see. Other ones... Warnock and Walker are still too close to call. Walker's got a slight lead. Nevada, too way too close to tell. Fetterman and Oz still. Ooh, Fetterman and Oz is actually closer than I thought. Oz, Mehmet Oz has uh, now drawn within about a percentage point, so he may pull that off. Looks like in North Carolina, Bud, he was a Trump supported guy. He, they're calling it ninety three percent in, fifty percent. So he's got three percent lead in North Carolina. All right, interesting. And otherwise, yeah, Arizona too close to call. Georgia too close to call. Yeah, otherwise, Tammy Duckworth in Illinois won. God, she's a special kind of idiot. She stayed. She stayed in place. A lot of the. Uh, a lot of the worst. Again, Chuck Grassley, even though he looked a little bit on the ropes earlier, he stayed in place. Ron Paul easily keeping his position. Kennedy, Louisiana. Uh, Van Hollen in Maryland kept his or her place. Not even sure who that is. And anybody else? Mullen in Oklahoma won. Scott in South Carolina. Thune in South Dakota. These are both Republicans. Utah, too early to call. Vermont, Welch, Democrat. Washington, Democrat. But, you know, really, guys, I would say there weren't a lot of libertarians on the ballot that we needed to really pay attention to this time around, other than Kaufman is what it is. You know, I don't think anybody expected Jeremy Coffin to, to really pull upwards of 10%. Have I said, I've said this many, many times before. As regards to the Libertarian Party, I don't think there's a success or failure rate in the percentage you get. I think now it is a battle for membership. It's a battle for raising members, raising funds, and the ability to change the culture through different means, through advertising, through more and more capable media relations people for the Libertarian Party to get them interviews. It's in better messaging, which Angela McArdle's doing a good job on. And I think that we are at a point in time where there's just not much we can do to overturn this apple cart. Um. You know, this battle 
for uh, for our democracy, right? Battle for democracy, as I was joking about earlier on. The battle for democracy tonight, I think, was set back a little bit. And not that I think that we're battling for democracy because democracy is a joke. I joked that I went to vote today in, uh, in California just to do it. And my baby was crying the whole time <laughs> my wife and I were voting because even at a young age, she realizes democracy is bullshit. But I do think that it is depressing, as I was talking about. It's depressing because this should have been a referendum on inflation. It should have been a referendum on the war in Ukraine, although it's a two-party issue, the war in Ukraine. But you could say that it should have been a referendum on Joe Biden and playing footsie with nuclear war. It should have been a referendum on COVID lockdowns. It should have been a referendum for pieces of shit like Gretchen Whitmer and Gavin Newsom and Kathy Hochul uh, on the COVID passports and vaccine mandates. It should have been a referendum on these things. It should be a referendum on gas prices. It should be a referendum on climate change uh, infrastructure, which is not ready for prime time, over people's ability to live and feed their families. It should have been a referendum on American independence. It should have been a referendum on American uh, exceptionalism. And in that, I mean, God-given liberty not liberty as gifted by the state, which is taken away during COVID. These are the things it should have been a referendum on. And these are the things that as of right now, it does not look like there has been. It looks like people, again, are leading with what they dislike, leading with what they hate or what they're embarrassed to admit they did. So there you go. There you have it. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. If you uh, tune into the live feed, I really appreciate it. And uh, don't forget, support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. You can get my good morning fuckhead rants as well as the new do nothing man is out. I mean, I still need to do a little bit of a remix on that to get the uh, the music volume a little higher, but the do nothing man libertarian superhero is out. You can, of course, support us on locals as well. Lions of And uh, guys, don't forget, we got T-shirts. We got, uh, I don't know what else we have. We got t-shirts. We got mugs. We got Christmas mugs. I think we're going to put a new one out there. So, yeah, please support the show. Tell a friend. Subscribe. Tell everybody you know. Subscribe to the Mean Age Daydream YouTube page. As I said, our YouTube Lines of Liberty page is down. It'll never be back up in any meaningful fashion. We can't do super chats. We can't monetize it. It's horseshit. Follow us on Rumble and follow us on Twitter. All right. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network and from Mean Age Daydream, keep those electric eyes on me, babe. Keep that ray gun to my